It's hard to believe that it is almost the end of May already, and summer is about to be here. Even just saying the word summer, I recognize that in a room this size at all of our campuses, there are some of you who you, if you're a student, you're like so excited right now. You're like, summer, I'm going to sleep in and just eat junk food and go to the pool all day. Some of you, you're looking forward to the family vacation that's coming up and you just can't wait to get away. Some of you parents, you've already started your calendar for when school starts again of how much you're dreading. Listen, there's no shame. We are praying for you as a church. We understand the struggle is real and we are there with you. Well, I wanna say hello to those of you joining us online at our online campus. As always, we are so excited for you to be a part of our church this morning as we gather in multiple locations. If you are kind of new to the online campus, I wanna encourage you. We, we have a chat feature that you can use and it's a great way for you to begin to build community and relationships with those that gather with you week in and week out, wherever they happen to be, all over the world. Or maybe you're joining us down in Fredericksburg. How are you guys doing today? We are so excited. And one of the things I love about us as a church is that we have this ability to be one church in multiple locations. We have the ability to gather as one collective church, one collective body of Christ, pursuing one mission, one vision, one set of values and living those out, but we get to contextualize it for each and every community that we live in and become these, these hubs where people, your neighbors and your coworkers, you can invite to experience the love and life of Jesus as we live out to be for one more. I love that about us. And what's crazy to me is that you guys at all of our campuses, God is continuing to bless your faithfulness as you live out our mission and our vision of being for one more. In fact, just this past January, maybe you remember we, we celebrated the fact that down in Fredericksburg, God is doing such a, a cool thing down there that we launched a second service. And I want you to know that that second service, we are probably even getting closer and closer to those two being full. And one day we're gonna have to go to three and it's gonna be awesome. And I'm sure like some of you are cheering down there, probably Caleb is for sure, but here at the Stafford campus, I wanna share some exciting news with you this morning. As you continue living out our mission and vision, God has been bringing more and more people, the number of visitors and the people who are responding to Jesus for the first time. And so I'm excited to let you know that on August 6th of this year, we are going to three services here at the Stafford campus. And I know that's like, that's a celebratory moment and you can see the times are gonna be 8.30, 10, and 11.30. This is a celebratory moment, especially for those of you that are introverts, right? Because you're like, finally, I don't have to sit so close to people anymore. Like just some space, like these people keep talking to me. Like, listen, here's the point in this, right? Like, and we're telling you so early for a reason. We're telling you, like, you're like, it's in August. Why are you telling us now? Because we realize that as summer happens and people travel, and we're going to three services, one, so that we can make room for more people to come and experience Jesus. But part of making room for more people is we also want to make room for those of you that are not serving to find a place to serve. Because we believe here at the Mount that one of our values is volunteering. We believe so much that when you not only attend church, but when you are the church, when you act like the church, when you step in and lay down your life and serve somewhere, that is where you build community, that is where you find meaning, and that is where Jesus is lived out in your life. And so we wanna give you a couple months to begin thinking, not just about which service you'll be attending, 
but which one you're going to be serving at. And that's our hope and our prayer. And our hope and our prayer is that in the next six months, God continues to do something here. And maybe, maybe we have to go to a fourth service, and then three down in Fredericksburg, and three over in El Monte. And God just continues to bless the ministry that you guys are doing in all of our local communities. And so we're excited about that. And you're going to hear more details about that in the weeks to come. Well, if you are joining us for the first time today, we are beginning a new series titled, The King is in Residence. If you have your Bibles with you, you're going to open them up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is kind of where we'll be. We'll we'll skip to Acts, but I just want you to kind of hang out in Philippians 1 for a moment. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can always download our Mount app, and on there you can find under sermon notes, you can find our scripture references and even places for you to take notes. If you don't want to download the app, you can follow along on the screens at each of our campuses in the rooms, and you'll find the notes there. But Philippians chapter one is where we'll be. But while you are turning there, I'm curious. How many of you, if you were being honest, you would say that there is something in your life that you wish was different? Just to show of hands, how many of you, and let's be honest this morning, at all of our campus, there's just something in my life, maybe big, maybe small, I just wish it was a little different. Yeah, hands all over the room at all of our campuses. I'd be willing to bet that almost all of us, even if we're a little hesitant about raising our hands, there has been a season in our lives, or maybe for some of us, every season of our lives has something that we wish was different. Even as kids, my two boys who are 11 and nine, they they wish there were things about their life that were different. They wish they didn't have to do so many chores on a Saturday morning and they wish they could just play video games right away. They wish they were older. They can't wait. They're they're longing for, desiring for the day when they get to grow up and be an adult. And the irony is they're going to grow up and be an adult and long and wish that they were younger again, right? Like it's, we're never sort of settled or satisfied in whatever season of life we find ourselves in. Maybe for you, it's the job you have. You would say, man, it's, it's just not challenging enough. I want more responsibility. I want, I want more to, to make me feel like I have a purpose. Or maybe for you, it's the opposite. You're like, it's, it's too challenging. It's too stressful. It's too overwhelming. My, my head never gets above the water. I feel like there's always so much. Maybe it's, you know, I have too much, uh, too much time and not enough things to do. Or maybe I, I'm, I'm not paid enough. I'm not valued enough. And we're just never quite satisfied, never quite happy. We wish it was a little bit different. Maybe for you, it's the the place you live. You got stationed here in Stafford, and you're like, man, I really miss San Diego right now. Or Okinawa, or or no one misses 29 Palms, but there's other places, right? Like, you get the picture. Maybe for you, you're you're not happy with the, the, the community you're in. You feel disconnected and you wish it was different. You're not happy with the house you have. It's, it's not the right layout. It doesn't work for your family and you, you wish it was different. And for many of us, there's always this thing where we wish something was different. And maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems like so many times for many of us, we fall into this when-then trap in our lives. Where we, we, we internally, maybe we say it vocally, but internally we think when X happens, then I'll be satisfied and happy and my life will have joy. Like, right, like, like when I finally get out of high school, those of you that just graduated, and I, and I get to college, then my life will be great, and then you realize how much work there is in college. You're like, when I, when I finally graduate college and get a job, and then you realize the student debt you now have to repay. When you say, when I finally get a job and it pays well, and you realize that right out of college, it doesn't pay well, and then you're just stuck in this cycle, and you say, well, when I get married, then my life will be joyful. 
and you get married, and it's like, well, when we have kids, we'll be joyful. And then you have kids, and then it's like, well, when we get out of the diaper phase, my life will be joyful. And it's always one thing or the next. We fall into this win-then trap. You see the pattern. And I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think for many of us, we go through our life wishing parts of our life, our, our, our circumstances were different. And we think that if something, whatever it is, whatever this circumstance, this, this thing would just be different, if it would just line up correctly, if it would get in the right place, then, finally, then, we would have joy and peace and happiness. And for many of us, joy is this elusive thing that we're searching for, wanting, desiring, longing for, yet almost every season of our lives seems as if it's just out of reach. We, we're, we're so close, but we can't quite grasp it. There's just a couple pieces that seem to be missing. And I think about this and I ask myself, is this really how life is supposed to be? Are we really supposed to live our lives in every season, in every circumstance, feeling as if something is missing, lacking, incomplete? Or does our, our God, our, our heavenly Father have something so much more rich and abundant for us? And so today, we're, we're beginning a new series titled, The King is in Residence. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. And just so we are on the same page, the book of Philippians is written by a guy by the name of Paul. And if you're familiar with the Christian faith in any way, you are probably familiar with Paul. But for those of you that maybe are, are new and you're still kind of exploring and checking things out, Paul is this guy who originally his life, he was a, a Jewish kind of teacher, a Jewish kind of worker, and he was very much kind of anti-Christianity. In fact, we're told in scripture that Paul spent much of the early years of Christianity persecuting the Christians. He was hunting them down, seeking them out, hoping to kind of quiet the rebellion, as you might call it. Until one day, as Paul was walking down the road, Jesus, the, the risen, resurrected kind of spirit of Jesus, appeared to him and basically kind of changed Paul's life in such a radical way that Paul gives his life to the mission and the purpose of pointing others to Jesus and building up the local church. And because he does this and is empowered by the Spirit so profoundly, what we find is that about half of our New Testament, half of the, the second half of the Bible is written by this guy by the name of Paul. It comes from his hands. And so he's writing the letter or the book of uh, Philippians from a, a prison cell in Rome, somewhere around, most scholars would say, 60 or 62 AD. So you've got to figure this is 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, and he's writing to this city called Philippi, and the city is a, is a Roman city that's located on this kind of east-west road that runs through the Roman Empire. It was a, a major kind of artery that ran through the heart of the empire. It was what they would use for military travel. It was what they would use for trade routes. It was an important location. In fact, this city was actually originally a Greek city named after the father of Alexander the Great. 
And it was this city that was kind of a a military stronghold, but part of its main significance to the the Greek people was the the mining of silver and gold that would happen in the city. And so it it was a wealthy city. It was a prosperous city. This was a place where people wanted to move to. People wanted to live there. People there lived a good life. But by the time we get to the, 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 the time of Paul, it's a very Roman city. They, they speak the Latin language. They wear the Roman clothes. They, they participate in the Roman cultic practices. They, they worship the Roman gods. They have Roman inscriptions all over the city. They use Roman coin. It is a very Roman place. And it's there in the year kind of 52 AD where Paul comes in and plants the first church in the continent of Europe. And you'll see as we go through this letter that Paul has this very special relationship with this church. It's one of the only few letters in the New Testament where when Paul writes to them, you sense his his emotions, his his heart, his his empathy and sympathy for the people there. It's, It's much more relational than many of his other letters. And so he's writing this church not to strangers, but he's writing it to to personal friends in response to something, and this is important, that they did for him. You see, Paul was at this point in his ministry where he was struggling. There was a task that God had put before him. He needed to collect money to help kind of the, the, the offering that was taking place back in Israel, and he needed to do this. And so the Philippians, the, the people in Philippi, sent him an offering, and it was this abundant offering that normally Paul may have rejected or sent back and said, please don't send so much money. But instead, in this moment, he accepts it. And so what we find in the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, is Paul writing a very personal personal thank you letter to them, his friends, for what they did. And as we go through this book over the next couple weeks, there is going to be this unavoidable theme that rises to the top over and over and over again, the theme of joy. In fact, in just four chapters, almost 19 times is the combination of joy or rejoice mentioned. And the irony or the paradox to this book is it is a book so full of joy and hope and happiness, but it comes from the hands and the pen of a man who for all intents and purposes should have had no joy and no happiness. Let's dive in. Philippians 1, verse, two and, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So while Paul typically, again, he typically opens his letter saying, I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he kind of lists his credentials. Here he doesn't do that. He doesn't start with his title. He starts with this phrase that says, I am a servant of Jesus He's he's writing to his personal friends, and from the very beginning, Paul is setting the stage that we're going to talk about next week that says even though he is the leader of this church, he helped found it, he helped build it, he did all of these things, he is not above them. Instead, he is a servant. He is laying down sacrificially for his friends in this church. And then he kind of continues, and just listen to his emotions and his affections in these verses. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's the first time. 
because of your partnership in the gospel. If you're unfamiliar with that word, the gospel, it basically means the good news of Jesus, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel. And he says, your your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he wants to encourage them. He says, being confident of this, that the God who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And here comes a big part. He says, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. For God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You ever had something in your life that you wish was different? Paul, throughout his entire ministry career, desperately, he talks about this in Romans chapter one, he desperately longed, wanted, desired to go to the city of Rome and to preach the good news of Jesus. It was, it was what, he, what he was hoping, what he, was, he wanted to be at the center of the Roman Empire, preaching the good news of Jesus, but here he is, and when he finally gets to Rome, he doesn't show up as a preacher, he shows up as a prisoner in chains. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I, I have to assume that if there was something that Paul could have changed in his life, it may have been, I wish I wasn't here in these circumstances, I wish I was here as as a free man walking through the city proclaiming the good news from the the Parthenon and all the the Colosseum and all the other places of significant importance. I wish desperately with everything in me that I wasn't stuck in this small house 24 hours a day being guarded by these soldiers day and night. Paul's not writing to the church as a guy whose life is full of joy and easy and comfort. He's writing to them as a guy who's in chains now, let's, let's pause for a moment, and because this is significant, let's talk about how the church in Philippi got founded and started. Now, for those of you that are familiar with Paul's story, Paul, uh, when he kind of became a believer, he spent some time in training, and then he sort of centered his home base around this place called Antioch. And what Paul did in Antioch is he was sent out from there, the church there, the Christians there, they sent him out on these missionary journeys. If you have a Bible, a lot of times you look in the back of your Bible and it'll say like, Paul's first missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journeys. And these are the journeys that he went on as he traveled around proclaiming the good news. And Paul traveled extensively. Most scholars would say that a typical kind of first century person living in Palestine would spend all of their life within about a 30 mile radius. Paul is rumored to have traveled about 10 to 15,000 miles in the period of his life. And so Paul begins this second journey, and you can see this on the map up here. His second one for our context, he's gonna begin in the ancient city of Antioch over here. And that's his home base, that's where he starts, and that's where they're launching him out from. And so at this point, Paul and his friend Barnabas, they decide we're gonna go revisit the churches that we went to the first time. And our plan is to go back to those very same churches and to kind of check on them, talk to them, and while we're in Asia, re-preach the gospel to new people and form and plant new churches all throughout Asia. He wants to go and encourage them. And so they leave Antioch and they stop. Their next stop, you can see on the map, is in this place called Tarsus. And they go to Tarsus, which is Paul's hometown. And while they are there, Paul and Tarsus have a little bit of an argument about what's going to happen, the plan. And so they end up getting in such an argument that they decide to part ways. And Paul gets someone else to go with him, someone by the name of Silas. 
And they leave there and they travel together and they go west to these places called Derby and Lystra. And we're gonna pick up in Acts chapter 16, verse six, where Paul's on this journey. Listen to this. This is verse 16, and you can see it on the map. Just kind of travel along with me. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Don't miss this. We could easily just kind of scratch over the surface of this. We can move right past this. But Paul and his buddy, this would have been extremely frustrating They left with the intent, the hope, the plan was to go to Asia and preach. And you can see Asia kind of up there on the map right there in that light pink area. He was going there to preach. It's what they wanted to do. If you're taking notes, write this down. For Paul and Silas, Asia was plan A. And so they're going to Asia, but the Holy Spirit blocks them. No, 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 you're not going there. It would have been frustrating. In verse seven, it says, when they came to the border of Mycenae, They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit again would not allow them to. Again, he's like, okay, like we're gonna go to Asia. And the Spirit's like, nope, you're not going there. And they say, okay, we're gonna go through Mycenae and we're gonna go to Bithynia. And on their way to Bithynia, the Spirit says, nope, you're not going there either. And if you're taking notes, Bithynia was Paul's plan B. He said, fine, plan A didn't work out. I'm gonna go to plan B. I'm gonna make plan B work. Plan B is gonna work, but as he goes there, it's blocked again. And it's like, no, that's not where you're going. And at this point, if I was Paul, I would be wondering with everything in me, what is happening? Like this has been our hope and our prayer from the beginning. God, what are you doing? Why do you keep blocking things? Why do you keep saying no? Why do you keep closing doors? Why do you keep putting these circumstances that are not what I had planned? What's happening here? Verse eight, it says, so they passed by Mycenae and they went down to Troas. So they just kept going until they got to the city of Troas at the very edge of the Aegean Sea. And look what happens in verse nine when they're there. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And there we stayed several days. So finally, Paul makes it to Philippi, guided by the Holy Spirit, where he believes he is supposed to be. And he gets there. And you can read the story for yourself. He gets there. And he stays a couple days, but while he's there, even as he's preaching, he gets put in jail, and then he gets released, but told, leave the city and don't come back. If I was Paul, I would have to be having a conversation with Silas saying, what is God doing? Like, we had plan A, and we had plan B. Plan C was nowhere on our radar. This circumstance, this situation, this place I find myself was never where I thought I would be. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. God always has a reason behind the circumstance. The circumstances in your life, God always has a reason behind them. Maybe another way to say it is God always has a why behind the what that he is doing. 
There is always a reason. God always has something going on. Even where circumstances are difficult, even when it feels like our, our joy is being sucked out and we don't understand, even in moments where it feels like everything is falling apart, when everything feels like too much, God has a reason. And how, how do I know that? Because God is sovereign. God is in control. And God is a good God. And he cares deeply about his people. And even in the midst of difficult, joyless circumstances, he has a reason and a why. So look at one more time. Look at this map right again. Pull this up for us one more time. If Paul would have stayed in Asia, his plan A, or if he would have went up to Bithynia, his plan B, Paul would have never got to Philippi, the Thessalonians, Athens, Corinth, or Ephesus. If Paul's plan would have come through, there would be five less churches and five less letters in the Bible. Sometimes, the circumstances that we go through in life do not make sense. But God always has a reason behind what he is doing. And I love in verse seven, back in Philippians, Paul says this, whether I am in chains or defending the gospel, there is grace. A church should have not been in Philippi. Paul should have not been in prison. He had every right to complain and grumble. He could have questioned. He could have been miserable. He could have been full of despair. He could have had been really cynical. He could have given into cynicism. He could have done all of those things. But what does Paul do? And throughout this book, he says, I rejoice. I have joy. Seriously, Paul? Like you're in, you're in prison writing a letter to a church that you never even wanted to go to, and you're rejoicing? How? How can you be so, like, I don't even understand, like, why is it that Paul, even when he is in chains, even when he's under house arrest, even when his what, his circumstances are terrible, how is it that he can still rejoice and celebrate the goodness of God? Paul didn't have to understand the reason to trust God in the circumstances. And church, the same goes for you. You don't have to understand why God is doing something to trust what he is doing. That's faith. Let me, let me, let me explain it this way. My kids, when, when, if, I, if I tell them to do something, a lot of times they're at that age where they're like, why? I, I could tell them why and they could go do it or I could not tell them why and they could still do it but I could also just say, hey, you know what? The why is because I know that ultimately this is going to be better for you. And even though I'm not gonna explain it, just trust me. And at that point, it's their choice. Because that's faith, right? Faith is taking where there is a gap in information and filling it with trust. And what Paul seems to be doing in this letter to Philippians 
is he's able to say, there is a gap in information. I don't understand why I'm in chains. I don't understand why I had to go to Philippi. I don't understand why this happened, but I, I trust in God enough and I have faith that his reason, his circumstance for my life is so much better than my plan A or my plan B. Therefore, I will trust and obey and follow. You don't have to understand the why to, do, to, to follow the what. And here's what's important. Your perspective is more important than your circumstances. I know it might not feel like it at times. I know it, it's true, though, that your perspective is far more important than your circumstances, even when things aren't going the way you thought they would. Even when life seems different and difficult and you wish it was different and you wish it would change so that you would someday have that joy. Even when things seem disappointing, when it doesn't seem like you are succeeding, your perspective on those circumstances is far more important than the actual circumstances. What's Paul's perspective? Go back to verse 12 of Philippians, verse 12. He says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me. So Paul, Paul stops here and he says, listen, what has happened to me? I want you to know something about this. And Paul doesn't say, it's my fault. He says, something has happened to me. I'm in this situation, this circumstance, because something happened to me. I just wonder this morning, what's happened to you? Like, what's something in your life that you're like, it wasn't my fault? This happened to me, and I'm frustrated. I'm disgruntled. I'm cynical. I'm miserable. I'm bitter. And I lack joy because of what happened to me. We, we all have things that happen to us, right? We all have these things. And so Paul says, the thing that, he says, the, I want you to, he said, the thing that happened to me in the end of verse 12 has actually served to advance the gospel. Are you seeing Paul's perspective in this? In the midst of prison, in the midst of house arrest, Paul says, listen, I have joy in my situation. Not because I'm blind to my circumstance, not because I'm turning my eyes away from it and ignoring it, no, no. He says, I fully recognize I'm in prison. I fully recognize that I might die or I might be released. He recognizes the difficulty of his circumstance. He recognizes the pain and the uncomfortableness. He recognizes all of that, but he says, even in the midst of this, I have joy because I am turning my perspective, my focus away from myself and turning it to Christ. And here's the crazy part, and maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but my natural gut instinct in this moment is to be like, Paul, are you mental, dude? Like, what are you talking about? Your, your imprisonment isn't advancing the gospel. You're literally chained in Rome. You wanted to be free preaching. You're stuck in a house. How is that advancing the gospel? Paul, you have joy. You are this, this person who's walking around avoiding the reality. This is not a joyful situation. You're in prison, chained to someone else every single hour of the day. This is not advancing the gospel in any sort of way. Why could you be so joyful about your circumstance? Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, as a result, as a result of him being in chains, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
Notice Paul's perspective. Paul doesn't say, I am in chains for preaching Christ. No, he says, I'm in chains for Christ. In other words, Paul's perspective is this circumstance, this situation, this thing that feels difficult and I would never wish for, it was not my plan and I wish it would change. This is the center of God's will for my life in this moment. And you say, Paul, like how? Listen, Paul's desire was to be in Rome preaching the gospel. His house arrest every single day, the praetorian, the the Roman imperial guards, the people who are the, the highest level in the Roman army, who work in the imperial palace, who have access to the biggest bigwigs in all of the Roman empire, every single day they come to his house and they chain themselves 16 inches away and for six hours, and then six hours later, a new person comes in for six hours and then a new person for six hours. And what do they do for six hours? They listen to Paul talk about Jesus. For Paul, instead of focusing on his external circumstance and how it's not what he wanted or planned and how it could be this joyless situation, he shifts his perspective, he changes how he sees it and he says, no, 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 no. This is exactly the center of God's will for my life because God has a plan and he is good. And here's the amazing part. Paul is not joyful despite his circumstances. He is joyful in his circumstances. And that's a big difference, right? You you could very easily say, man, this is a really hard season in my life, but I'm gonna push that aside and be joyful. That's not what God is calling you to. Paul says, this is a very difficult situation and season in my life, and I'm gonna use it in a redemptive way to bring joy to my life. It's a different perspective. And and here's what happens. Not only are the palace guards influenced by this, where they're going back to the imperial Roman and just sharing all the good news about that Paul is talking about, but it says that the actual believers in Rome are emboldened and empowered to go out and share their faith. And some of you, right now, you are going through a difficult circumstance that is robbing you of joy, like Paul was. But Paul took this difficult circumstance and used it as an opportunity to tell a future story. And maybe, just maybe, that's what God has for you. Maybe five years from now, when someone's asking you, what was the most difficult moment in your life? Option one is you can say, this happened and it was hard and it was miserable and I really struggled just to get through it and I don't know what was happening and it didn't make any sense. Or you could tell a story about the faithfulness and goodness of God even in the midst of a hard situation. 
your perspective matters. The future story you tell is based on your current perspective. Joy is a choice. It's not always the easiest choice or the obvious choice, but it's a choice. Why? Because ultimate joy is not an emotion. It's a person. Right? Like we, we think, I just don't feel joy in this moment. But joy is not an emotion. It's a person. In fact, uh, let, me, let me tell you an example. Um, the, the king of England just got recently his coronation. And if you're familiar with how politics in England work, they have their typical Union Jack flag, which is the British flag that you normally see for the United Kingdom. And then they have this other one called the Royal Standard. And the Royal Standard flag is very restrictive on its use. In fact, it's only between all of the castles that the king now owns, the Royal Standard flag is only flown on the one where the king is actually at. And if the king is in a car, the flag takes down from that and it follows in the car. Wherever the king goes, that flag flies. If he goes to someone's house for dinner, they have to raise that flag to show that he is there, that the king is in residence. And here's the thing about joy. Joy is a person. It is the flag that is flown from your heart. It is the thing that when you walk into a difficult circumstance, a difficult situation, things when everyone else is like, man, that sucks, that's difficult, that's hard, that doesn't make me, you, you show up because, and you bring the flag bearing the banner of your king and you step in and despite your circumstance, despite how hard or difficult it is, you know that God has put you there for a reason and you are going through it for a reason to sanctify you, to make you more like him. And so that flag flies high and you let the world know that even in the midst of this, my God is good and he is faithful and he is strong and he will help me endure and I will make it through this. Joy is a person. And what Paul is telling the Philippians in chapter one is he's saying, listen, you will never have joy apart from the person and work of Jesus. He is joy in the midst of your circumstance. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, for the way that you use scripture to illustrate and show us and to, to pierce our hearts, to, to help us live according to your wishes and your desires and your love for our lives. As we continue praying in this moment at all of our campuses, I just am, am wondering, I'm curious, and I would love the opportunity to pray for you and just in this, the stillness of this moment, if there is if you're gathered with us today and you would say, man, there is something in my life, a situation, a circumstance that feels overwhelming and difficult and it is robbing me of my joy, I would love to be able to pray with you and for you and to encourage you to trust in Jesus in that moment and in that circumstance. If that's you, just in a moment of honesty, would you say, I'm just going through a difficult moment and I'm lacking some joy. Would you just slip up your hand and in just this transparent moment, hands all over the room. Father, I pray for every hand that is raised across all of our campuses that your joy, 
the presence of Jesus Christ in our hearts through the Holy Spirit would empower us to see that even though this thing is not our plan, it's not what we wanted, it's not what we desired, that you are working a why behind the what, and we can trust knowing that you are good because our joy is not circumstantial, it is found in you and you alone. As we continue praying, maybe you're here today at all of our campuses and you would say, man, Adam, I, I really want joy in my life, but I don't know Jesus. If that's you, I just wanna really quick, very much tell you that it's a very simple decision. Jesus Christ died 2000 years ago for your sins, your selfishness, your rebellion, whatever word you wanna use there, your mistakes, failures, if you like that better, but so that you, he took your place, your punishment, and he rose from the grave to give you a new life as he defeated death so that you could not just avoid hell or anything like that, but so that you could live a life that is abundant, full of joy and repentance and turn to him and he will walk with you through the difficult and the ups and the downs. And if you wanna make that prayer today, make that decision today, the biggest decision you will ever make in your life, in this moment while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I would just ask that whatever campus you are at, you would just slip up your hand right now. Jesus, I need you, I see your hands. If your hand is up, I want you to, to pray with me. Father, I am a sinner and I need you. Jesus, come into my life. Be my king. Be my Lord. Today I repent and I run to you for forgiveness and grace and mercy. Jesus, I love you. And everyone said, amen. Church, we're gonna continue with our worship. Like always, our, our prayer team will be down front. If you, if you raised your hand today and made that decision, uh, our prayer team probably came around and tried to give you a card, but if they did not make it, I wanna encourage you on the back of our seats, there's a QR code and you can scan that QR code and you can let us know about your decision to follow Jesus because our staff wants to follow back up with you, to pray with you and to help you begin to take your next steps in your journey with Jesus. Let's stand and let's worship, church.